I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. foretold of his death, he took Peter, John, and James and went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes flashed white like lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, were talking with him. They were clothed with heavenly splendor and spoke about Jesus' departure, which would, achieve, which would be achieved in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were almost overcome by sleep. But they managed to stay awake and saw his glory as well as the two men with him. As the two men were about to leave Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good that we were here. We should construct three shrines, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. But he didn't know what he was saying. Peter was still speaking when a cloud overshadowed them. As they entered the cloud, they were overcome with awe. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son my chosen one, listen to him. Even as the voice spoke, Jesus was found alone. They were speechless and at the time told no one what they had seen. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. So I remember one Easter, I was working um, at a church in North Carolina, uh, and the lay leader of that church walked up to me at the end of the Easter service and said these words, 
well, I, I really don't know about you, but, but I'll be glad when all this Easter nonsense is over and we get back to normal. Anyone can be a lay leader these days, apparently, right, Christian? Apparently, they'll just let anybody in. <laughs> where, are, where is Christian? There he is. <laughs> I knew her well enough, though, to know that um, she wasn't talking about being annoyed by the C&E Christians, the Christmas and Easter folks. She wasn't annoyed by her duties of having to put out all the lilies on the altar and then take all the lilies away. It wasn't tending to these things or all the new people and the new faces that she hadn't seen in forever. Those weren't the things that, that bothered her. She was actually talking about the Easter story itself. We, we talked enough for me to know that dead people walking and similar stories like that in scripture was really tough for her. She would often tell me that she was a fan of Jesus. She liked church. She knew she needed to come to this place, especially when it was moved outside and, you know, padded its attendance with canine creatures that week. But all this supernatural stuff just felt like fake news to her. She didn't know if she fully believed it, if she bought into this whole thing. And so really, quite frankly, she wasn't really sure if she could call herself a Christian. In her words, church is fine. Jesus is awesome. But this supernatural stuff, it just seems a bit over the top. Perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you have sat in that same spot where outlandish stories have been read to you from Scripture or outlandish stories have been preached to you from Scripture. Perhaps the story of the transfiguration this morning, what we just read, is one of those stories for you. The story of transfiguration. So, so wait, Jesus... Jesus takes his disciples up on the mountain, and all of a sudden he shimmers, he, he glows. It, it's, it's as if Jesus is a glow stick, and snub, someone has now snapped him in half, and, and his neon is now beaming bright. And, and then there's these dead people, these ghosts that show up on the scene. Elijah, the, the chief prophet, and Moses, the writer of the law, walking with Jesus on this mountain. Okay, it's a fine story, but, but, but maybe today you'd rather just look at the trees and listen to the birds because creation, hey, you get creation because you can see it. You don't have many questions about that, but, but, but you'd rather tune out all this stuff you can't see and just get back to normal. Maybe church makes sense for you. Maybe you know that we all as human beings need community. We need to be loved. We need to have companionship. Um, we need to feel like we're active in something good. And so maybe church makes sense to you, but you'd rather just tune out all this unseen stuff and get back to normal. And maybe, maybe Jesus' moral teachings are fine for you too. After all, peace and love and joy are generally things that I want to embody and you want to embody, but the all the rest of this stuff about Jesus glowing and glory and dead people walking and talking, I don't know about that. And maybe this kind of story just makes you wonder if you're even fully a Christian. If so, you should know that you're in good company. You are not the first disciple to struggle with all this supernatural stuff. You're not the first disciple that if pressed on your belief or your articulation of faith would more likely talk about the moralistic Jesus than the transfigured Christ. You're not the first one 
and neither was my lay leader friend in North Carolina. This struggle with speaking and articulating the supernatural presence of Jesus goes all the way back, press and pressed on through generation after generation of disciples going all the way back to the very first disciples. Luke tells us as much. According to Luke, when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John onto the mountain, things get a little foggy. Jesus transfigures. Jesus glows. Even in the Greek, Luke can't figure out how in the world to articulate this, and so it doesn't even make sense in the Greek. Then all of a sudden, it seems that, you know, Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus, and the disciples who were there with him, um, they don't know if this is a dream they found themselves in or if this is real. And then Peter, whose mouth always kind of outruns his mind, and every time he's in Scripture, well, he says, well, we'll, we'll build a building then. Uh, to remember, to remember this moment when you glowed. We'll, we'll build a monument to you, Jesus. And, and while he's talking, he's interrupted by a divine utterance that comes through the clouds that has enveloped them that says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to them. Listen to this guy. And just like that, Jesus untransfigures. They, they walk back down that mountain. And much to the relief of Peter, James, and John, and my lay leader, maybe to your relief too, they put all this supernatural stuff behind them as well and got back to normal, only they really didn't, at least not according to the rest of Luke's gospel. This moment of transfiguration, especially as, as Luke tells us the good news, the, the good news of the transfiguration for Luke is, is not that some supernatural event happened at one time and you and I are either going to believe it or not the good news of the transfiguration is that in Jesus God God's intentions are are made as plain as day here's the mystery of the transfiguration not that God can make Jesus magically glow but that in Jesus God makes you glow Luke chapter 9 is this hinge point in the gospel story. Chapters 1 through 8 are like master level classes in theology and the person of Jesus. It's all about Jesus in chapters 1 through 8. His lineage, where he comes from, angels singing and shepherds and, and him struggling in the wilderness. And it's all about Jesus in the first eight chapters. The camera is tightly focused on him, on what God's God's focus on this person in time, Jesus. But in the ninth chapter... The camera broadens, it widens, and those surrounding Jesus now come into focus. From this point on, from the transfiguration all the way to the coming again of Christ, the focus is not just on Christ, but also on Christians. With the rest of the Gospel of Luke, continue to read the Gospel made flesh in the book of Acts too. I mean, we're going to study that this summer, but you read Luke and you read Acts and and you notice that Jesus gathers his, his disciples together and the crowds are coming in to eat. And they say, Jesus, give us something to eat. And Jesus doesn't do it. Instead, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. He sends out the 72, commissions them to do his ministry, to be about his work, to live his life out. And all throughout the Gospels, the only thing Jesus praises his disciples for is when they come alive in a way that they begin doing the actions of Jesus. 
they come alive in a way where they bring the world around them alive too. The mystery of the transfiguration is not that God made Jesus shine, but the fact that in Jesus, God makes all of us shine as we follow his way in the world. The miracle, the seemingly fake news that Luke has the audacity to ask us to believe today is not that Jesus is the special child of God, but that as we follow Jesus, we all become God's beloved children. From what I've seen, from where I sit as a, as a pastor, as a friend, the, the disciples that shine the brightest are not the ones that have certainty of faith. They're not the ones who swallow up the supernatural stuff without thinking twice about it and are convinced of everything they've ever heard. Frankly, those sorts of people I find incredibly boring. Um, and I don't, and I, I'm not a single one of you that I've met is that kind of person. The people who really shine are, are, the, are the people who struggle with following Christ and, and through the cracks of their life and their faith, light just kind of bursts forth in their lives. I, I think about my lay leader in, in North Carolina, who every time I saw her, she was in some crisis of faith because she had read a new thing. How many of you read things? I know it's dangerous. Between Sunday and Sunday, I never know what you're going to read. <sighs> she read something between Sunday and Sunday, and now that's something debunked and, and disproved a detail in Christian faith, and, I, and that, then I had to figure out how to explain her into faith again. She was always in this crisis of faith. Her faith was always breaking apart because she couldn't believe in this supernatural stuff but there was no corner, no corner of North Carolina that her light had not sh shown at this point in time, had not exposed darkness for darkness and had just breathed life into people's lives. When I did my pastoral care rounds, every shut-in I visited, I don't really visit shut-ins now in our congregation, but at that point in time, there were many, many people who lived in, at home and could not make it to church. Everyone I, I visited, would just talk about how she dropped off the lilies at their house and how she would drop off the order of worship and, and walk with them through every little detail of church that week because she knew how important it was for them to feel as if they were there. She was also the, the bearer of the keys to the building, and, and she said that a locked church was a church that didn't know how to do hospitality well at all because she believed that anyone at any point in time should be able to walk into a church and just pray as their heart desired, even though she wasn't sure if she fully believed what they were even praying. I think of the mothers of preschoolers, that, she, that group that she started when she didn't have children of her own. In fact, she had wanted to but couldn't. I think of every Wednesday morning when, when she, would, she would help them through their struggles and tell them stories from scripture that could illumine what they're going through, even though she didn't know if she believed the words of hope she was even speaking. Through, through the cracks in her faith, light poured through. By the time I left that church, I wasn't fully convinced that she believed in God at all, quite frankly, but I was fully convinced that God believed in her and was using her to transfigure people everywhere she went. You know, you, you never... <laughs> You never know what someone's going to ask you. And so this week I was in a, in a coffee shop with a friend and, and they, they asked me this question. It's a strange question. They said, um, are you ever disappointed 
by the people in your church. And I, I thought about it, and, and I thought, and I thought about you all, and 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 the answer. As many times as I, you know, the conflict arises, and um, and it, things of concern come up, and of course annoyances happen. But when I I thought, am I ever disappointed with my people? No, no. The answer was so easily no. It, it's because it's. It's hard to see your brokenness for the light that pours through you, right? Through the fractured pieces of your life, through the fractured cracks in your faith in your life, it's really difficult for me to see the brokenness because of the light that pours through you. I meet with many of you often, and I know, I know that you all struggle with this supernatural stuff. I, I, I know that, that most of the time you don't know what you believe. I also see God just pouring out of you. You continue. You continue to come together in a place like this and, and create space for people in this community and to, to allow me to do audacious and crazy and, and out-of-the-box things. And, and you welcome it. Like, just, it's like light pours out of those cracks in you. The miracle that I'm asking you to believe today, the supernatural claim that Luke puts before us today is not that Jesus, that God made Jesus shine on a mountaintop, but that in Jesus, through your fractured life and faith, God shines brightly. I can't explain it. It, it, is, it is the most supernatural thing I have seen. God taking sinful people like you, doubtful people like you, Dickering, divisive people like our world, and lighting up the world through them. I can't explain that. Would you join me in a time of prayer today? We are going to um, take the Lord's Prayer and dissect it a little bit through kind of a responsive prayer time. You'll understand as we begin. Let us pray. Loving God, we remember that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, you created us. You made this world and you called your creation very good. Yet often we forget that you are our loving parent who continues to work in and among to bless your world. Jesus told us that you are in heaven, yet we fail to live in awe of you. We take you for granted and we don't see the awe-inspiring beauty of the world you have made. We pray, hallowed be your name. We confess that our reverence for you does not always lead us to care reverently for your earth and sky and sea. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We confess that we often put our own interests first, exploiting your creation, living for our own convenience and self-interest. We pray give us today our daily bread. We confess that we consume more than our share of the world's resources while billions go hungry every day and your whole creation suffers. We pray forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We confess we see these words only in spiritual terms. While the Bible is filled with teachings about economic justice and creation care, we pray free us from temptation. Help us to resist the temptations of spending more, using more, acquiring more, and wasting more. We pray deliver us from evil. Free us from greed and self-centeredness. 
that separate us from you and your creation. We pray for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Help us to know that in caring for your wonderful world, we are working for your kingdom, being good stewards of your creative power, and giving you glory. We pray amen. We end our prayers with amen, a word that means let it be so. We know that our faithfulness is rooted in the grace of Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Glory and your power, and your majesty and